This episode of a sassy little podcast for getting over it is proudly sponsored by Rooted Planning Group, a woman-owned and managed business. We've learned the value of our physical and emotional health. This year, let's invest in our financial health. No matter which stage in life you're at, Rooted Planning Group is ready to help you achieve your dreams. Learn how financial planning can help you grow at rootedpg.com. Hello and welcome to a sassy little podcast for getting over it. I'm your host, Sandra Ann Miller. Today we're talking about getting the F over coercion because we might believe we're impervious to it, but we can find and likely have found ourselves pressured to do something against our wishes or better judgment. Our guest holds a PhD in sociology, is Professor Emerita of Sociology at Cal State Chico, and author of the books Bounded Choice, True Believers in Charismatic Cults, and Take Back Your Life. Recovering from Cults and Abusive Relationships. You'll likely recognize her from her appearances in the Nexium documentaries and the docuseries Heaven's Gate, The Cult of Cults on HBO Max. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dr. Yanya Lalich. Thanks, Sandra. I'm, I really appreciate you having me on the show. Well, I'm so happy that you're here. I just, I've enjoyed watching you in these documentaries and learning more about your work. And we do seem to be learning more and more about cults in the past few years, not that there's anything new to them, but people still have a hard time understanding how smart, well-adjusted people can find themselves in a cult, not understanding how coercion works. Even in the past year and a half, we've watched the rise of QAnon and the radicalization of the Republican Party. And it's not that coercion exists just in high control groups. Coercion can go on in families, romantic or platonic relationships, even at work. So how is it that people give up their logic and common sense or even their deepest core beliefs to follow a group or individual that really doesn't have their best interests at heart? Is that the question you're asking? <laughs> <laughs> I like to start big and then we work our way. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, as you said, coercion is around us all the time. And basically what coercion is, is a, is a type of social influence or social control. Mm -hmm. And it's often using um, mechanisms, I guess I could call them, that we're, we're used to responding to. So it's through guilt and shame and fear and kind of these manipulations of our emotional life um, that are sort of toyed with and manipulated and preyed upon to get us to respond to something. And so we may not always recognize it as coercion. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly today, you know, we also hear a lot about gaslighting, which is one right. of the important aspects right. where, you know, the person or the group or whatever is trying to make you feel like you're crazy if you see or interpret something differently than everyone else. Um, so it's, it's, um, it's a normal human response to manipulation. Um, it's usually done not in your interest, but you're made to feel that way. Um, and if it's a group context or a high control group or a cult, whatever we might want to call them, of course, usually within that context, there's also some kind of indoctrination going on, uh, which supports all the things that are being done to get you to think a certain way and get you to give up your own critical thinking. Right. Because you are doing this for the greater good. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's so interesting to see what we're dealing with as a culture right now, especially politically, sadly. And I don't like to make it 
this podcast too political, even though I am. Um, <laughs> it it's it's heartbreaking just to watch people not believe facts, dispute science, to go against that. So so what we're seeing, and we are seeing coercion happen when groups are coming in to attack a school board or to threaten, you know, people who are working in elections. We are all being coerced in one way or another, no matter which side you're on, we're under this threat. And when we look at the definition of coercion, or I should say coerce, it is to compel to an act or choice, to achieve by force or threat, and to restrain or dominate by force. So all of that sounds pretty violent. And coercion isn't always that Violent, it is subtle, like we like we've mentioned. It is manipulation. It is gaslighting. It, it it doesn't have to be necessarily, you know, a fist to your face saying that this is, you know, do this or. But we are seeing that with our political figures, you know, being threatened. Stand by this crazy man that I can only call Schittler, and you know, <laughs> follow what we say, or there's going to be repercussions that you won't necessarily survive politically or at all, considering lives were threatened on January 6th. So again, not to make this too political, but <laughs> we're seeing so much no, in our no. politics. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, the the state that our country is in right now, I think the, the, um, the extent and the depth of the polarization is something we've never seen before. Hmm. And so as someone who has studied cults and high control groups for 30 some years now, I do see absolute patterns of behavior and patterns of thought, this kind of closed-minded thinking that we associate with cults, you know, Mm -hmm. this refusal to believe that there's any other way. And so what's happened, and and I'm sorry, but it it is rooted in, in the politics of our society right now. But, you know, we've had, we had four years of a president, I don't even like to think of as president, but we had four (laughs) years of Mr. Trump basically training us into this kind of us versus them thinking, right? And so that has seeped into every layer of society from the upper classes to the, to the lower classes. And so, pe- you know, it's, you're either with me or against me, mm-hmm. and it's okay to take action on that. Um, and so he trained our society very well into that kind of thinking. And what I used to see as I now call them kind of the run of the mill cults, you know, what we always recognized as, you know, the charismatic leader and some kind of physical presence, you know, the headquarters where the leader lived and then maybe other centers around the world. And I always believed that it took, you know, some kind of actual physical recruitment, meeting someone at some point anyway, who got you into something. And that's not what we're seeing now. What we're seeing is this kind of cultism on a national scale uh, that has been reinforced by all the various types of social media uh, that people can get involved in, as well as the regular media. And we know we've got some TV stations and talk radio hosts uh, who also feed this kind of thinking. Um, so we don't necessarily see one charismatic leader as we do with a, with a run-of-the-mill cult. You know, what we see are different people kind of rising up. Mm-hmm. and speaking out and people following that person and and communities being formed online instead of actual physical communities so people are finding that same sense of purpose and belonging 
but in a more amorphous kind of way. Um, and so it's sometimes harder to put your finger on it. But it's, you know, at, and, and of course, added to that was the pandemic and everyone being sheltered in. And so what did people do? Well, they spent all their time on the internet and then they fell down these rabbit holes with these algorithms that, and I don't understand what algorithms even are, but apparently they send you from place to place to place. And before you know it, you're at the bottom of a rabbit hole. And so it's a, it's a dire situation. And when, when communities are in crisis or societies are in crisis, that's when cults do very well. That's when they can recruit because people are looking for a framework of understanding. They're trying to figure out like, is this Armageddon? Like what the hell's going on here? Right. And so they grasp at this and grasp at that. And sometimes they grasp at the wrong thing. Yes. And what's hard for me, and, and I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with Dr. Caroline Orbueno, who studies disinformation and misinformation and the algorithms and all of that. And, you know, she mentioned that fact checking doesn't solve this problem. Because once once you've gone down that rabbit hole and once you are indoctrinated, and I think as a human being, you hate to realize that you've been duped. Exactly. Exactly. No, that's a very, you know, that's a very common phenomenon. People don't like to admit they've been taken advantage of. And so they they cling to these ideas and other like-minded people. And so we have this, you know, what what we in sociology or in social psychology call cognitive dissonance, right? Where mm-hmm. reality might be butting up against what you believe in. And 99% of the time, people are going to go with what they believe in because that feels safer to them than stepping out of that little world they've built around themselves. Um, and they become even, even more firm and more dedicated in their commitment to whatever that belief is. Right. Um, and then when you attach violent action to that, well, you know, what do you have? You have January 6th. Yeah. Well, and who knows what's going to happen? We're recording this on September 10th. Who knows what's going to happen on September 18th? You know, we're, we're, right. this is, this is our constant state of crisis. So even if you aren't, you know, following a cult or nut jobs, I will just say, which is rude, but I'm saying it anyway. Um, it, you still feel that pressure of, I'm just going to say it there, you know, Elizabeth Warren, who is my, she will always be my president. She was, you know, just down the street from me for Gavin Newsom. And I'm like, oh, I, I got an invitation. I could go. No, because I thought it, it is not safe. So I'm still thinking it's it's not worth the risk of, you know, corralling yourself in a situation like that when there are these, you know, people who want violence, who want to harm the other side. So that's how I was coerced to staying away from something I would have really enjoyed doing. Because I no longer feel safe because people have lost their effing minds. And it's, it's heartbreaking to me because this is the first time we've had a national crisis with this pandemic that we didn't come together. Right. You know, I mean, because even if I look at when we've had an earthquake, you know, just immediately your, your neighbors all come together and we help each other. When we had September 11th for a brief period we were one. And Mm -hmm. this happened. And of course, we're blaming other countries and all of this. But if you were on Twitter, like most of us were, you saw the wave coming, you saw what was happening. Once it hit Italy, like if that wasn't our learning curve, like what to do between Australia and New Zealand, who are doing it right, and then Italy, we saw all of this coming. Our leadership, which we didn't have leadership, we just had a buffoon. And I have to ask, when you look back through what we at least have on 
on record, when you have somebody like Hitler, when you have somebody like Mussolini, when you have somebody like Schittler, they're just buffoons. I mean, they're laughable in the way that they talk and their mannerisms and their uniforms and that red tie. I mean, that's the first part of how do you how do you not let your logic tell you that these people don't have all their marbles? Well, it's really important to try to take a step back and and look at it from the point of view of someone who thinks, you know, Trump was like this amazing person. And and I think a, a smart businessman. <laughs> yeah, smart businessman, right? I, and I think within that, it, it, we have to look at this concept of charisma, right? Mm-hmm. Most people think of charisma as something that's inherent in the individual, right? That you're born with that trait and you grow up to be a charismatic leader. But that's actually not what it is. Charisma is a social relationship. And the first person to write about this was one of the founders of sociology, a, a German named Max Weber. And he described how this works. What happens is that you, the, in the audience or the listener or whatever, you attribute charisma to that person, right? You're the one who makes that person, quote, charismatic. And once you've done that, that person has power over you. And it's an imbalance of power. And the thing with charisma is the person who's considered charismatic has to keep doing things at least every now and then to keep that feeling alive. So we had the rallies, right? With all those slogans, you know, lock her up, you know, whatever, right? Thousands of people cheering and, you know, thinking that this guy is marvelous and all the things he's saying and attack the media, you know, fake news, all of, the, all of, the, all of that lingo uh, that reinforced that movement and reinforced that so-called charismatic leader who some of us think, how in the world, you know, is anybody f- falling for him? But we have to kind of step away from that and say, okay, the uh, obligation of the person who believes that person is that other person is charismatic, that the obligation for you then is to be devoted and be dedicated and do whatever you can to support whatever promise or salvation or, you know, better society, make America great again, right? Um, and so you get this fervor, and and especially when there are these kind of mass gatherings, obviously that is what w- what we call a high arousal technique, right? It it everybody starts feeding off of each other, uh, so it's important to kind of step back and look at it w- with that view rather than your your critical thinking that's saying, oh my God, this is nuts. These people are quote nut jobs, right? We have to try to get away from that if we think we want to change this. And right. it can, and I think and I think it, I mean, I think there are changes that can happen on a societal level, but there also needs to be individual actions taken to try to sort of even this out. Um, because I know there are, you know, there are so many families who've lost, quote, lost someone down one of those rabbit holes or friends. And um, I'm actually hoping to write another book soon, sort of helping people to communicate with each other again. Like, how how can I communicate with my crazy uncle, you know, who just believes everything he hears on Fox News and refuses to get a vaccine and is, you know, bringing all the rest of us at risk if he comes to Thanksgiving dinner. So I'm not going to invite him to Thanksgiving dinner. It's broken apart that kind of bond that families and friends have had. And so if we can figure out a way to 
take a deep breath, bite our tongue, and try to have some kind of dialogue with people that doesn't focus on their beliefs, but focuses more on what you had before as a relationship, right? What are the things you did? know? So take Uncle Crazy Fishing and just talk about, you know, good old family gatherings or, you know, whatever, and just kind of create those emotional bonds again. And the, the really important thing is to be what I call the safe haven. Like, let that person know that there's somewhere, if they ever want to change, there's somewhere they can go that'll be safe, where they're not going to be ridiculed and humiliated. And you're not going to say, see, I told you so. But it's going to be a safe place you can go to and catch your breath and maybe rethink what the hell you've been doing. Um, and I know that's a large task. And I know it's difficult because some people have taken on really heinous beliefs uh, that we can't abide by. So actually, I, instead of calling it just compassion, I call it critical compassion, because we, we don't want to give up our own beliefs or our own safety, but we want to try to do whatever we can to break through this barrier that's been built. And I like that critical compassion, because we are going to have to take our anger and our frustration and our disappointment and turn it into that. I was going to say compassion, but critical compassion sounds so much smarter because there are so many people who were taken in by these beliefs, whether yes. it was political or I don't even know what QAnon really is, but it's, it's, scary. it's conspiratorial. Yes. <laughs> and how it infiltrated the yoga community and how it, you know, just, just these bizarre little tentacles that kind of spread everywhere. And there's a lot of people involved with it that are going to end up being, I would say, quite wounded. Like when the wool finally comes off the eyes, it's going to be a very rude awakening. And I think, again, ego won't necessarily let people drop that because it's, it's right. too hard to say I was wrong, especially right. when you have people saying, I told you so. And how right. did you not see it coming? Right. And so we have to kind of become a little bit more expert in what cults are, high control groups are, how they, they manipulate and, and how we can help people out of them and become mm. much more patient because we are a nation divided. It's, it is mm. a horrible time right now and we've got to figure it out. Right. And sadly, I don't think the other side really cares to, but, but we, we have to be the adults in the room, I think, and just kind of, like you said, be that safe haven and, reach out. The hard thing is, because, you know, like being in my family, even if you want to just have a different conversation, eventually they will bring up the subject you don't want to talk about. Yeah. And 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 then you can say, look, let, let's not go there now. We're having such a good time. Let's save that for another day. Right. And try to try to redirect as best you can. Mm -hmm. um, you're right that people do get hurt. Um, and there are consequences to having these various conspiratorial or, you know, dead-end beliefs. I mean, I, I'm co-leading a, a course right now, a recovery course on healthy relationships. And there's uh, someone who, who's in the course this session who uh, became an anti-vaxxer. She and her boyfriend, anti-vaxxers. In the town where they lived, there was actually a, a physical community where they would protest and do whatever. And then at some point, she and her boyfriend woke up and realized this was wrong and they got vaccinated. 
And of course, now they are being completely shunned by everyone else, right? They're saying terrible things about them on social media. They're being maligned. Um, they've lost their entire community of friends. Um, and that's very painful, you know? And so th then it makes you doubt, like, well, did I really do the right thing? You know, how, how can I be right? And all these people are still holding on to that belief. And and people need support through that process. So it it is it is really important to reach out in whatever way we can and keep that door open and never give up. I mean, I always say this, just just don't ever give up. Keep trying. Yes. And I think when we talk about addiction, you know, you have to have that hard line of I'm you know, I'm not going to let you in the house until you get help and all of those things. I, I think what we need to understand is this is a different kind of addiction where you you have yeah. to always let that it's an abusive relationship is what it is. And yes. just like you would with somebody who who's experiencing domestic violence, you, you can't expect them to just be able to leave. It's not that simple. We don't understand if you've not been in an abusive relationship, you can't understand. So you have to always keep that door open. It's not tough love. You have to be compassionate. And you, I think we have to remember that we are human. We are meant to screw up a lot. <laughs> we're, we're going to, and while this might be an atrocious screw up, depending on where they're at in the situation, humans are flawed and you, you have to appreciate that and do have that critical compassion and do offer that line of saying you, you aren't going to be outcast. We are going to work through this and you will come out the other side better for it and hallelujah alive. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that's really important what you just said, because you may think that person is flawed and they've really made stupid choices and, and you know, they're being an idiot. But but you also may have done some things that affected that. Right. I mean, we all make mistakes. And so I think that's why looking back and thinking, OK, you know, where was my friend Mary at when she got involved with that? What what was it that they're giving her that I wasn't giving her? What has she found there? What is the satisfaction she's feeling? And think back on that and think, oh, well, you know, maybe I should have, you know, had her over for dinner more often. Maybe I should have um, listened to her when she was telling me how depressed she was, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and think about your own role in that relationship and how it could have been different and what then might, might make a difference now. Um, because these aren't bad people, you know, for the most part. I mean, obviously there's some bad apples out there. There's no doubt about that, right? Um, but, in you know, the vast majority are, are good people who just took a wrong turn. And, you know, it's something any one of us could have done at any time. And I mean, I did. I was in a cult for 10 and a half years back, you know, in, in, when I was 30. I joined when I was 30. So I wasn't a kid. So any one of us can make that mistake. And, and it's a matter of, of having that understanding and thinking about your own role in that relationship, whether it's family or friends, and try to think about what, what is that person getting out of this? What is the positive and what, but and also what is the negative? Because sometimes being in one of those situations isn't always a lot of fun. You know, you know you're being ridiculed, you know there's memes making fun of what you believe in. You maybe don't have an actual physical network, it's all just amorphous on the internet. And so you you, you know, it may not be the greatest experience for them, but they're caught in it. 
So any way that that we can think of to to alleviate that for them and and answer those questions for them, that that's where we need to be. Yes. And I, I think it's interesting that the cult that you were involved with was also political rather than yes. a religious or philosophical, shall we say, um, right. group. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I wanted to change the world mm -hmm. and that, and that's true. Uh, well, at least I wanted to change America at the time. You know, <laughs> I wanted to have, I wanted to have, you know, social justice. I wanted to get rid of racism and sexism and, you know, all those isms. And I thought I was doing the right thing until I realized I wasn't, <laughs> you know, but um, you know, if there's any common denominator uh, among those who either join cults or get caught in these kind of high control situations, um, it's idealism, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and I don't suppose this applies to, you know, domestic relationships, uh, abusive relationships. And on some level it does too, because you want to have that perfect relationship. You want to keep trying to make that relationship work. But in general, it's idealism that gets people to take that step into these things because they want a better world or they want a better life or they want more money or they want to lose weight or they want to, you know, have the perfect spiritual path, whatever it might be. And, and, and so those are good people trying to do good things. And, and that's what we, we need to recognize and, and work on. And I think the other thing is this concept of sacrifice. You know, it, to me, when you're in these kinds of groups, you are dealing with kind of a one-sided relationship where you're the one giving and giving and giving and giving and giving. And, mm -hmm. you know, so this idea of sacrifice, you're sacrificing your family, your, your money, your assets, your career, whatever it is, you're making the sacrifice. And it, if it's, just a one-way street, I think that has to be a flag, whether it's a mm -hmm. relationship or being involved in a group. What are you getting out of it? If everybody isn't mm -hmm. kind of reaping the benefits of this and having a better life and feeling good, it especially when it becomes much more of a religious situation. But when you're the one just making sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, that has to be a flag. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. It's a one-way street, and 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 the sooner someone can recognize that that this really isn't in their interest, you know, then hopefully the the um, you know I, I have this metaphor that I use that I think everybody who's involved in in some kind of extreme situation like this um, and they've made a commitment that that they have doubts. We all have doubts. I mean, I was an absolute true believer. I still had doubts, and and so my. My view is that, you, of course, you're in an environment where you can't express those doubts, right? So you kind of put them on this shelf in the back of your head, you know, and this shelf keeps getting heavier and heavier. And one day something's going to happen that's going to break that shelf. And then you'll have that aha moment and you'll think, oh, wait a minute, this isn't right. That doesn't mean you'll necessarily leave at that point, but at least you've kind of sparked your critical thinking again, like, hmm. And you'll, you'll begin to see things a little differently. And that's why it's important for those of us on the outside to be that safe haven that someone could go to if they get to that point. Mm -hmm. um, but And it's also on us, I think, to plant seeds on that shelf in whatever, in, in subtle ways for sure, but plant seeds that can grow and help break that shelf. Yes. And I think another flag is when you aren't allowed to look at outside information. 
that you can only Mm -hmm. get your information from one source. You shouldn't trust anybody. And especially when they say you shouldn't trust your family and friends, when you've got to cut ties and make a choice, us versus them, and you can't, those, again, are flags. Right. But, you you know, the problem is you don't see them as flags anymore. I mean, the the flags might be there in the beginning and, and, and you'll ignore them because of the excitement of thinking you've found something and the what we call love bombing, you know, mm-hmm. suddenly everybody's welcoming you and, oh my gosh, this is so wonderful. And you're the most amazing person and come join us. And we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Um, so in the beginning, the, the red flag, you know, w- wish that we could recognize and act on those red flags. And, and, and this is not to say we shouldn't teach about them or educate about them, but um, the, the problem is w- once the, in, the indoctrination starts, which, which is just a form of re-socialization, basically, you're getting re-socialized to be this new person in this closed environment. Um, you know, then the, then the red, red flags are completely discounted or turned into something else, right? Oh, no, that's, you know, that, that's going to send me to Satan. No, I can't, you know, I can't go there. So it's, it's complex. It's definitely complex. Yeah, it is. And I think we forget that as human beings, how complex we are and how complex Mm -hmm. relationships are and Mm -hmm. how easily we are manipulated just to keep the peace. Yeah. I mean, we all know that just probably most of us from how we grew up, right? I was just going to say it starts in the family. Yeah. You know, and and I I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's, it starts there. Yeah. That's our first socialization. And then through life, we go through various other ones of when we get a job, we might have to socialize to, you know, if you're in the tech industry, you go, you go to work in t-shirts, you don't wear a suit and tie, you know, you <laughs> right. But if you work back in the day for IBM, you definitely wore a suit and tie and there was a certain, you know, so, so our whole life is about these kinds of social influences and, and the more we can get aware of them. And, and, you know, I, I believe, and you know, some people might think this is wrong, but I do believe that since the '50s, we've had what I call the dumbing down of America. Amen. Uh, we've we've really our educational system ha- has kind of lost its way in the sense of really teaching critical thinking and um, educating people to to understand the, the social forces around them and, and and the ways that they can be influenced and. And, you know, I often think one of the things we could use is is some kind of national education program. And I know that sounds terribly like socialism, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but, but really we need to, to get back to people not, you know, people knowing now how to fact check, knowing, you know, when something is misinformation and not just, you know, acting on the first thing that comes along, be a good consumer. I always say, you know, when you buy a car, you don't buy the first car you look at, right? You look at a bunch, you drive them around, you ask other people who own that car. People seem not to do that when they're joining some kind of organization or movement that they're basically giving their life over to. It's like, why aren't you being a good consumer about that? It has far more consequences than whether you buy a Toyota or a Ford, you know? So um, <laughs> we, we need to be critical thinkers and we need to be good consumers, smart, smart consumers. I completely agree. And I, and critical thinking is something that, you know, even even within families, I, I joked because I grew up in the 70s and we were spanked, not beaten, but spanked. That to me was the first lesson in critical thinking. If I do this, well, my butt hurt, you know, and, <laughs> and we've taken out a bit of consequence and I'm not advocating 
hitting children, but I, we've taken out a sense of consequence and that even with everybody getting a trophy, it's we're, we're taking that away and, and not letting people experience loss or hurt or pain and understanding resilience and cultivating all of that. So it's harder to stand up for yourself because we we're so used to being part of a crowd now and identifying and having, and again, I, when I grew up, we didn't want labels. You know, we wanted to look beyond all that. And I'm not saying that that's right, but that's just what we were trying to undo and what we thought was progressive at the time. And now everybody has a, a bunch of labels and that becomes an identifier, which is, is positive, but at the same time, then you are in a group. And to be part of that group, you have to do these things or there's cancel culture, et cetera. So it's, to me, it seems a little bit harder now to stand up for yourself and be a voice. And even if you are a voice of dissent within your group, for, for a positive reason, we get to not like our president and still want to vote for him. You know what I mean? We don't have to agree with everything he says, even though he's on our ticket, even though you know, we're happy to have him in there instead of the other guy. <laughs> but it's that that sort of positive dissent was erased also on September 11th, where you were Dixie chicked, you know, if we remember that. And yes. the first cancellation, you know, you had to be a patriot. This is all about patriotism. Well, that right there is culty. No, we had questions. Where are the weapons of mass destruction? Is this really worth it? And look where we are now. And look at Afghanistan now. So having that ability to speak out and question is needed and necessary. And if you find yourself in a group, whether it's work or your family or, you know, another group, you have to be able to question and dissent and, and disagree mm -hmm. and still feel like you can be part of the group. And I think we've lost that a little bit. Yeah, I, I I think you're right about that. And I think what if we want to speak a little bit about the the violence or the um, sort of hateful actions, you know, we we need to realize that if we are involved in something that has an ends justifies the means philosophy, that's bad. Yes. <laughs> that's gonna that's gonna lead you down a very dark path. Um, the fact that someone says, you know, we can do anything we want because it's for this greater good. It's for making America great again. It's for whatever. Um, I can shoot someone know. on Fifth Avenue and still get elected. Right, right. So the ends, when the ends justify the means, if you're in anything that promotes that kind of philosophy, I say turn around and run the other way, because it's not going to be in your interest. And you're going to end up doing things that you never would have done otherwise in your life. Um, and and it's, I think it's really important to recognize that. Um, and and I do I, just to get back to something you were saying about how how kids are brought up today. And, you know, when I was teaching and I'm retired now, but I taught for 20 years at a state university that had, you know, primarily middle class kids and some kids, you know, some some minority kids who didn't have the greatest lives. But I'd say the majority were white kids who went to fairly good schools, some of them to private schools. And I would have these experiences where literally a parent would call me and say, how dare you give my kid a D? You know, I, I'm going to sue you. 
And I'd be looking at the phone and saying, what? You know, like, I, I mean, and that, and that happened more than once, you know, these kinds of threatening calls from parents, not for their kid in grade school, but for their kid in college. Their adult the child. Their adult. I mean, when I was at the university, my, my mother would never have, she wouldn't even known how, but she never would have dreamed of calling anybody at the university to challenge something, you know, but this, this was common practice, not just for me, but for many of my colleagues. Right. And it, and it was shocking, you know, and, and then I was in a class, another class where it was a class in women's studies and I've been a pretty much a lifelong feminist, right? And I was viciously attacked by the latest round of radical feminists, you know, who didn't think I was correct enough. Right. And I was like, you know, you wouldn't even be here today if it weren't for people like me and my generation. <laughs> right. But but we have lost that sense of history, you know, acknowledging what was done before us, you know. Respect. I was just going to say being respectful to people who deserve our respect. Um, and, and that's everything we need to come back to. So, so while you say we're all in groups and we can't speak out against the group, well, part of that is true, but we've also become such an individualistic society. And I yes. know I'm not the first, this is not an original thought from me, but that sense of individualism, I think is also what feeds now this kind of really bad, harmful, destructive behavior that we're seeing across America for different causes, you know, everything from anti-vax to Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oh my God. I mean, the 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 racist uh, bullshit that Trump unleashed uh, is, is horrific. Um, so we've got a lot of work to do. Yes, we do. I think um, part of what you're saying with the parents calling, again, that's an avoidance of consequence. Right. You know, and, and I'll say this respectfully, at least when I was in college, Chico was known as a, as a good party school. It was all school the schools that, are party schools. Yes, I'm sorry, but it, it, it was one of the more fun <laughs> schools that people wanted to go to just because it was a fun school. So if you're getting a D in a class, chances are you're just having a good time at Chico. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and that's the consequence. And, yeah, you know, parents, <laughs> when I first saw Nerf on a playground, I thought this is the end of society as we know it. Because if you don't learn how not to skin your knee, that's that's a life skill. And if you do skin your knee, then you learn to deal with that pain and get over it. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, I there are consequences that we need to go through as human beings to learn a sense of logic and to learn resilience. And these are vital life skills that we are ending. And to your point, being individualistic, we don't know how to debate anymore. Another, another side effect of losing critical thinking, having that debate and understanding that we can disagree, but there's a reason I believe what I believe. And I can back this up to this extent. Now explain to me why you believe what you believe and why you think I'm incorrect. And having that discourse, we just don't do that anymore. It's just who can ever yell the loudest and call shoot, you the worst name? Or shoot names. the other person. Yes. Right. Yes. Or go shoot up a bunch of people, right? Yeah. No. Well, it's, it's, if Sandy Hook didn't change anything for America, again, another lost moment where you're just like, mm-hmm. what the actual, you know what? And that they're claiming that was fake. And, you right. know, crisis actors and all this other shit. You're like, what planet are you on? And I don't want to sound disparaging and I don't want to use, 
names, you know, words like nut job and all of that. That's my bad. And, but this is my level of being so fucking pissed off that this has continued. And it's so just stupid with two O's. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the, um, you know, the degree of polarization and the fact that people have stopped being able to debate in, in a decent way mm-hmm. are instead are resorting to violence. I mean, it, it, it is, it is frustrating, you know, it's frustrating for all of us, I think. And that's, you know, and it's that sense of frustration that then sends some people down the wrong path toward the violence. And we, you know, what do we do about it? That's, that's the problem. I mean, it's, you know, I wish I had the magic answer. I try to come up with some solutions, some suggestions, but boy, there's no magic bullet. Yeah. Uh, pardon the metaphor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I think the fact that we can have the kind of, you know, the kind of documentaries that are coming out right now about cults, for example, I think they're far more sophisticated than they used to be. Uh, they're not just focusing on the sensationalism. And, and I think they're helping people understand, like, how does this happen? How does this happen to smart, intelligent people? I think the the vast number of podcasts these days that hopefully are, you know, giving some information and ideas to people uh, around the country, around the world. I mean, I did a podcast a couple of days ago, was in Tunisia. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> Tunisia. You know? So I think, you know, we, we have found some means to communicate, you know, a more rational message and some solutions, but, but it's, it's a long road. It's a long road. I hope I, I hope I live long enough to see this come around to the other side. Me too. How do we break away from coercion? Like when you're in it, is there a path out or is it just, you know, it's, it's too subjective? Well, there's always a path out. Certainly. I mean, there's plenty of people who've left cultic groups. There's plenty of people who've left abusive relationships or some kind of relationship with a narcissist. You know, I think, again, the, the kind of education that's happening today around trauma and around narcissism and um, is is helping people understand and, and get a sense of, oh, yeah, that that's what this is. I got to get the hell out of here. Right. But I think, you know, again, it's a matter of helping each other to, to learn how to say no, you know, to to have I have in one of my books this checklist called the personal bill of rights like being able to, you know, go down that list and say, you know, yes, I can say no. Yes, I understand what consent is. And if you don't, I'm out of here. And, you know, those kinds of things. I I, I think we need to just, those of us who understand this concept and the dangers of coercion can, can really do good by continuing to just educate about it. You know, at least today we have domestic violence shelters. I mean, 40 years ago, we didn't have that. So I think we're going to need to set up some new resources for people coming out of these kind of cultic relationships and groups. Um, There aren't many societal resources for those kinds of survivors. And so hopefully we can, as a society, pull together and help people out of coercive situations. I I think that's, that's the start. It's just really understanding that there needs to be a place for them to go because especially if, if it's a, if it's a cult where you, you know, you give up everything to be there when you walk away, you have nothing. And if you've severed ties with family, they may not necessarily be there for you 
to give support. We do, we do need to be prepared for that. And we do need to be prepared for the mental health aspect of this and giving that support as well. That that's going to be like another big group that we're going to need to start, you know, providing that support. I'm actually, um, we'll be doing some courses uh, with CEU credits for uh, mental health professionals to educate them about working with these kinds of clients uh, who have what we call complex PTSD, not the usual PTSD, but coming out of these kind of traumatic situations is, is a different kind of PTSD. And, and the various helping professionals, whether it's therapists or social workers or EMTs, whoever, need to recognize the signs and know how to work with people. Because I, I've had so many people come to me over the years leaving a cult group or an abusive family, whatever, and they've gone to a therapist and it just goes all wrong. It just, they, you know, and I'm not faulting the therapists. I love therapists. I've been in therapy myself, but this is a special kind of trauma that people suffer and, and therapists need to be trained in how to, how to work with those, those kinds of clients. Um, So yeah, we definitely need more of that kind of training. Yes. And I think that we also have to go back to that critical compassion and remember to hold space for the people in our lives that might've gone off the rails a little bit and work to welcome them back and provide that support and lead them in the direction of proper therapy for that. Right. You are wonderful. Thank you so much for being here and having this talk. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It was a great discussion. Yeah. I'm really glad we were able to finally schedule it. (laughs) (laughs) Life's a little crazy. (sighs) It is. I look forward to a boring day. That's all I could say. Yeah. Just one. Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I agree. You can find Dr. Lalich on her website, yanyalalich.com, on Twitter at yanya underscore Lalich. And on Facebook at Yanya Lalich Resources. And her name is spelled J-A-N-J-A-L-A-L-I-C-H. And please be sure to visit our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group at rootedpg.com. They have great advice for people at every stage in life, from college students to entrepreneurs and those planning for retirement. Check out their website and blog to find out how they can help you grow. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this sassy little podcast, please rate it and review it and tell your friends about it. To get the podcast early, ad-free, and with exclusive content, become a patron on Patreon. Go to the community page at sassylittlepodcast.com for more information. And let's connect. Find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at sassylittlepod or email me from the About page on the website. Until next time, take care.